What's going on? What's going on? Jay Sutton, I am back with another episode of the Destroying Doubt Podcast, where we provide information and inspiration to the new and aspiring entrepreneur to help them overcome self-doubt to start that business or to take that existing business to new levels. And today, I'm excited because I'm introducing to you all a very special guest. I had the, the privilege, the opportunity, the honor to hear this brother give two powerful presentations on the power of strategic marketing. And the way he broke it down and the way this brother speaks and the way he elaborates the details is just so phenomenal. And I knew from day one that I, you know, the first time I heard him speak, I was like, yo, I have to get him on the show. And what you'll come to find about this brother is not only is he knowledgeable about marketing, but he's knowledgeable about life. And he has a lot of information as you will hear in this conversation between him and I that you can apply to your life and that you can apply to your arsenal as it pertains to destroying doubt. And my guest on the show today is a marketing genius and his name is Mighty Woodard. Um, he's part owner of the brand Been Broke Before. He's a marketing consultant, speaker, author. The, the brother is just killing it. And you'll see in this conversation between us that he's just so strategic about everything. And I think that that's something that we could all apply to our lives and especially as it pertains to self-doubt and being more strategic and getting more information because a lot of times we doubt ourselves because we just don't know. We just don't know anything about the goal that we're trying to achieve and getting more knowledge and more experience and being more strategic about your planning toward that goal will help you overcome a lot of self-doubt. And that's what Mahdi specializes in, in helping businesses be strategic in their marketing and expanding their reach. So I'm going to go ahead and shut up and <laughs> and play this show uh, featuring the brother Mahdi. I hope y'all enjoy it. I know that you enjoy it. And be sure to share this episode if you feel moved to do so. And before I get out of here, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel because this interview, the video will actually be going up there as well and other interviews that I'll be doing and just some of everything as it pertains to boosting self-confidence and overcoming self-doubt in video form is on the YouTube channel. So be, be sure to subscribe to that. I'll put the link in the description below Jay Sutton on YouTube and also still doing the podcast consulting. So if you want to start your podcast and embark on this podcasting journey, then email me at destroyingdoubt at gmail.com and we'll get you situated with that. And also merch, destroying doubt merch, be you be free is still available, still available, sorry, at destroyingdoubt.com or you can also email me about that at destroyingdoubt.gmail.com. So thank you so much for your support. Without further ado, here it is, my combo with the bro, Mahdi Woodard. Thanks for listening. Mahdi, what's going on, man? Yo, yo, what's up, my brother? Long time coming, man. Excited to be here. 
Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Glad to have you on the show, man. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I want to go ahead and get right into it because I told you a long time ago that I was going to bring this up whenever I got you on the show. (laughs) (laughs) And I see you show a lot of love to Cam on the gram. Cam yes, on the gram, that rhyme. So <laughs> I need to know, is that just a Cam thing and it stops there? Or is it a, a, a Panthers thing? Because I'm a Carolina boy, so I'm a Carolina fan through and through. So is that a Cam thing or is that a Carolina thing or both or what is it? Let me know. Um, It's a it's a genuine friendship thing. We played high school ball together and uh, we both played the same position. I was a couple years older than him, so I was uh, he was my backup by default. It wasn't because, <laughs> you know, I was extremely or immensely more talented. But, uh, no, we're genuine friends. And, um, actually, his older brother, he and I are really, really close. He played center, and I played quarterback back in the day. And uh, so, yeah, man, I root for him. I root for the Panthers as well. But, uh, ultimately, it's just, you know, you want to have the people that you grew up with still be around as you get to different levels of success. So, uh more than anything, man, it's just showing love to your homie. Hey, I ain't mad at that. But I, is that something – I mean, I know me. I'm kind of, like, petty. So, I would go around telling everybody – yo, Cam used to back me up. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's my backup. And I would tell him, too. Like, I know you, you know, starting quarterback, franchise quarterback and everything. But you remember who you used to back up. Did, did you ever do that? <laughs> We passed that stage, man. You know, well, I'm in, I'm into my 30s, so you sound kind of like Uncle Rico from uh, Napoleon Dynamite <laughs> if you stuck living in the past. But uh, it, it never hurts to uh, to drop it on a few people and see the shot. They try to figure out, you know, he's still young and trim and athletic, and I'm over here with uh, with a grown man gut, they call it. So uh, they don't give me too many bragging rights anymore. But, no, it's all in good fun. Every once in a while we get together and start telling old stories, and uh, that's always a good time. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and and don't uh don't don't brag on the don't be too down on the on the dad gut because I got one myself. So let's not uh you know. Let's hey, the only bad part is the only bad part is that I'm an uncle. So uh, I don't know I don't know if there's a such thing as an uncle gut, but we we need to work on that. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, man, let's get into it. Um, I'm here with my D marketing. I like to say marketing guru. Um. Do you prefer that? Do you like marketing guru, marketing genius? What What do you prefer? I, I want to get it right. Hey man, I'm 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 flattered by either one. Uh, I just I, I'm a strategist, man. More than anything, I I have a you know my background education wise and and my corporate work and stuff is in marketing, but I like to help people get their ducks in a row personally and professionally. And um, I'm always looking at things from a marketing lens. So marketing guru, uh, that sounds pretty good, but it doesn't sound right if you say it about yourself. So yeah. uh, I'm a marketing strategist, man. And and you said something there and, you know, being strategic. And, you know, this show is about destroying doubt. And one thing that I always like to hit home on is the fact that not only inspiration, we all need inspiration, but a lot of times it's that information that we lack. Absolutely that causes self-doubt and so gaining more information can help overcome um self-doubt and propel us towards towards our goals so absolutely i'm i'm more than positive that we'll be able to do that on the show today um so i guess man let's 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 take it back to the beginning a little bit and i ain't talking about you know childhood or kindergarten or nothing but where, where did you start off with your um with your passion or your drive for marketing was it in college 
did, did did you pick it up there? Did you attend college? I, I just threw it out there like I knew you attended college, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it um it formed in, in college. So originally, I was thinking that I would do something in engineering. I was always really strong in math and science. And uh, the college that I went to was also a very strong engineering school as well as business school. But as I approached my senior year, I did an internship at Georgia Tech in engineering. And that's where I realized I wasn't as passionate about the day in the life of an engineer. I was more excited about where that meant business. Um, so as I got into college, I went into the business program. And uh, I think going into my junior year, I took my first marketing class and realized I think this may be something that I, I should I should take serious and look into. Prior to that, it was just strengthening your, you know, your core skills and decision making and business and finance. Um, but probably my junior year was when it really really hit home. I started reading some marketing books, and then going into my senior year, and hopefully this isn't going back too far. But going into my senior year, uh, one of the guys that's my business mentor today, he pulled me aside and said, "Hey, if you're really strong at math and the analytical parts." and you're creative as well, you should really look at marketing because it's not just about the, you know, the trendy, pretty stuff. It's about being able to take a business apart, put the numbers together and put a business case out there and, and sort of make it make sense. So started in college and uh, that kind of propelled me into a career in marketing. So I worked in corporate America for seven years and coming up May 1st, this will be two years now as a full-time entrepreneur. So uh, that's kind of the, the, the short version of how I got into it. How many years was that again as a full-time entrepreneur? May 1st this year. So coming up uh, will be two years. Two years? Okay, cool, cool, cool. And was that school that you that you graduated from, was it Georgia Tech? No, no. So I ended up going to Bucknell University. It's oh, okay. in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Yep. So originally from Atlanta and was looking at getting outside of the city just to kind of get a that broader collegiate experience that you get from being away from home and being on campus. And I ended up 780 odd, mi odd miles away from home, but it was a <laughs> real, real good, strong experience, really good, strong academic school. Okay. Okay, cool. And you know what I, what I like about your story and what I know from you and your story is that you had a lot of experience and success in the corporate world. And I think that's important because I think today with the new, wave of of trendy entrepreneurship mm -hmm. a lot of people want to bypass the corporate world and that's not to say that everybody has to go through it you know you some you know it may be a situation where you're like kobe or uh kg or lebron where you can jump straight out there you know and be an entrepreneur um but i think for a lot of people you know you need that experience and and that you can gain from working in the corporate world and, and what you got so can you speak to that a little bit like when you first jumped out there you said you had seven years like what was the first uh level that you jumped out there in the corporate world like where did you start at yeah man i will i'll, I'll touch on that i want to backtrack to what you just said it's a great analogy that i share with people about going straight from high school to the pros because entrepreneurship is one of those things where you can title or you can call yourself that an entrepreneur, CEO, or founder without the necessary credentials to succeed at. So I definitely advocate for people getting some type of business experience or training or internship apprenticeship in what they want to be doing before they jump out here competing amongst the best because, you know, it's, it's, it's a shark infested water out here as an entrepreneur. So um, I, I recommend people get some experience. But my first job was at Mars Pet Care. So Mars Pet Care is a subsidiary of Mars Incorporated, which is the huge global company that owns Snickers and M&Ms and all those big brands. 
and I was in Nashville, Tennessee, working on Pedigree Dog Food Brand. And so sort of the way the, the titles and rank works within corporate marketing, you start as, as an analyst, so your job is to kind of understand the numbers of the business that supports the bigger decisions that you make. And so um, that was my first introduction. That was 2009, so started as a marketing analyst, and then just sort of got a, a, a round of promotions over the years up the ranks. So um, if it's not too much detail, I go through them. So marketing okay. analyst, and then I moved up to an associate brand manager. So at that stage, depending on the company that you work for, uh, that's where you really get your first opportunity to make some decisions on a brand. And so usually uh, you may take, for example, um, or I can give a real example. So I worked on Pedigree Dog Food brand. At the time, it was $1.2 billion in sales. And my job was to look over, you know, a portion of the, we call it wet food, wet dog food. So your cans, your pouches, et cetera, which may have been, I don't know, I don't want to ballpark, maybe 300 million or so. Mm-hmm. And so you're not over the entire brand, but you get a nice slice that you can own and control and make decisions about. Um, and so I stayed at Mars for four years. I then got promoted while I was there onto another brand called Temptations, which is a product actually for cats. So it's a, it's a cat treat product. But that was really, really cool because now I was able to start owning some of the marketing budget. And so what happens is every year you go in and you make your business case for how much money you want in marketing and then what the return will be on that money for the business. Mm. Um, and so my boss and I, we had $18 million. I remember this vividly, $18 million in marketing money. And she was in charge of 10 million that was going to go to television and the bigger things. And then I had the other 8 million to do what was called consumer promotions, but that's your coupons and newspaper things, magazines, uh, digital campaigns, things of that nature. So kind of wrap that in a bow in four years. From there, I moved over to uh, Newell Rubbermaid at the time as a parent company in Atlanta. And I was um, I worked on Papermaid Ink Pens. And then this role was, was the one that's uh, like the sexy job title. So I was a global associate brand manager mm. over um, our erasables. So mechanical pencils, erasable pens, et cetera. But because the business was global, our job was to grow the business in the U.S., South America, um, in Asia Pacific. So we're taking trips to, if you were going to launch a product in Italy, you needed to go to Italy, immerse yourself in the culture so that you could really make sure that you succeeded the right way. So that was the one that, uh, right on the cusp of Instagram being, being popular. I was in that role. I wish I would have took more pictures. I probably would have a lot more, a lot more followers. Um, (laughs) sorry to cut you off. Are you, are you bilingual? Did you have to learn the language a little bit? No, I mean you, you you learn a little bit to be dangerous, but no, I'm not bilingual. That that's something that I need to uh to make happen. My brother is and he's he's putting pressure on me to make it happen. Right, okay. Um but that's where you get an appreciation for cultural differences, right? So I, I remember sitting with an older woman in Italy and she's saying, Hey, um, we don't really wanna be like you guys in America. We like our small boutique mom and pop stores. We don't want super Walmart where you can go into you know, one store and buy all of your goods. We love the specialty experience. That's part of our culture. And so you learn to not force your beliefs and your value systems onto someone else. And if you do so, uh, you know, there are burdens to, to pay when you assume that everyone views the world the same way you do. Um, so that was kind of a big position for me. And that led, lastly, and I'll try to uh, wrap that part up, but no, my last time. rolling. Take your time. My, all right, cool. 
my last role in corporate, I was the brand manager over uh, Graco, and I worked on the car seats business. And so this is another idea of like a huge brand, billion dollars or so brand, and my job was over a portion of our car seats business. And so you're thinking about the entire portfolio. I don't, I, you know, I know you were talking about about kids earlier, but you've got to think through what are the right products that a mom or or, or family will need at each stage in the journey. And how do we make sure that we're developing a multi-year innovation plan that allows us to succeed across these various different needs? So the biggest thing that I do now as a consultant and strategist is I help people think through, do you have too many products to fulfill your needs? Do you not have enough? And what are the right things based on some real insights or research in order to make sure that you're fulfilling a demand or, or need in the marketplace? So that was a mouthful, but um, I sort of climbed the charts from you know, analyzing the business and making recommendations up to someone else analyzing the business. And then you're the person putting the business case together, going to the, the CEOs of the world and saying, Hey, I want to do ABC over the next five years. I need a hundred million dollars. Here's a return. And you, you hopefully you get those projects green lighted. How, how, how easy is it when you say, yo, I need a hundred million. And I know you just threw <laughs> that number out there. It may not actually be a hundred million or maybe more. I don't know. Um, yeah. And how are they, how receptive uh, are they to that? So the, the, the thing that the thing to think about is most of these companies, you may have a total of 20 brands. And then of those, you might have five of them that are really bringing in the money. They're bringing in probably a billion dollars a year. And so you have to fight amongst your peers. It's, 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 it's uh, you know, it's not malicious, but everybody's bringing their best business case to the decision makers. And so it's not so much that it's easy or hard. You just got to really make sure that it's buttoned up. And that's where it's more important to understand the math of marketing because all of the, all of those new product launches are going to have a television campaign and all of them will have pre-packaging, but who has the best business opportunity for this huge business? And, and, and that's where you really, really, really got to know your stuff. But, uh, it feels good to walk out of those meetings and get the green light to, you know, spend a bunch of money on the business for sure. I bet. I bet. <laughs> it's a different reality, man. You know, that's probably the bigger adjustment for me as a small business owner is that sometimes you don't have the resources to fulfill all your dreams and imaginations. And I'm coming from a place where resources were abundant. Uh, so you have to scale down your scope a little bit, but still try to hit your goal. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I want to go back to I want to go back just a little bit because you said something that really sparked my interest when you were talking about the different countries. And yeah. You, and you mentioned Italy. Like what were some of those other countries? You started to get into that a little bit that you uh, that you traveled to. Yeah, absolutely. So in Europe, um, a couple of times. So I went to um, the UK, went to London, went to Paris um, a couple of times as well. And I went to Italy. So that was in Europe. And then I did a lot of travel through um, Central and South America. So Mexico, Panama, Argentina, Chile, and Colombia. Anything crazy or was it just strictly business? <laughs> uh, you know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> certain things can't live online. So oh, okay. uh, right. We had a good time. As long as you get your business done, the rest is sort of, you know, up to you. You're an adult, so how you handle your schedule, we'll leave it at that. But uh, definitely good time. More than anything, you meet good people, and the food is amazing. And, again, you're getting to 
to see the world from somebody else's vantage point. And your your goal is to try to remain as open-minded and as objective as, as possible, but still, on the other hand, realize that you have a business or a brand initiative or some type of guide or goal you're trying to hit. So the merging of those two worlds is where it takes some real uh, analytical muscles and strategic thought to make sure that you're not making the wrong decisions. Yeah, and I, I want to get into that a little bit because we're obviously going to get into you know, what you took away from your seven years experience in the corporate world far as analytically wise or mm-hmm. what you can uh, put down on paper. But I want to know in your experience in seven years, what did you take away from that that has helped you as a person, as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, as a consultant, something that you can't necessarily put down on paper, but a way that you mm-hmm. that you've seen executives move, that you've seen top professionals move. What's something that you learned yeah. throughout that experience? Uh, let's try to do a couple things. One is communication as it relates to a wide range of people who have different responsibilities in a business. So how do you cast a vision or a goal in a language that multiple different people can understand? And I'm not saying language like English, Spanish, but I'm saying working with engineers, working with lawyers, working with marketers, we're all looking at the business from our vantage point. So how do you cast a vision that's large enough and clear enough to get all of these people to buy in? But it also may be five years away, but it's not one of those things where you can wait to year four and then just run real fast. So it's like, how do you even think about building a vision so big that it'll take five years to accomplish or seven years to accomplish? How do you keep people motivated every step of the way while you're walking down a goal, you know, that's multiple years away? So understanding that you, you've got to do your due diligence as the person who's creating that strategy and make sure that you're thinking through where everybody else's piece will button into this bigger goal. And you keep people enthused and you remember to celebrate the, you know, the small victories along the way because the big goal could be a decade away. Um, so definitely I would say uh, the communication skills is, is real. The other thing that I learned from being around leaders in the business is there's a real difference in people who are confident in the things that they're talking about versus folks who are still a little bit shaky. And one of the older, um, not older in age, but just seasoned in business, um, executive, she, 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 she taught me something that stuck with me to this day. And she says that competence builds confidence. So when you know your stuff, you don't have a problem standing in front of a stage or standing in front of a group or writing it down or however you have to convey it, getting your message across because you know that you know your stuff. So um, definitely invest in your own competence and then project yourself in a way that, that shows people that you're confident and you're capable of leading them towards, you know, a, a bigger, loftier goal. So those are some of those things that it's hard to write down. You just kind of, you pick it up and then you, you, you put it to work. Yeah. You know, I want to speak to that. Uh, both of those uh, points that you just made, because one with the competence leads to confidence and you know you don't you say you don't have a problem getting up and speaking about what you know or what you do and that you know the conversation we had a little bit before we started we were talking about rapping that's why i never wanted to perform because what i was rapping about i wasn't living (laughs) but now destroying doubt i don't mind if it's a hundred people a thousand people how many ever people because i know what i went through and i could tell my story because i lived it absolutely um so I, i think that's valuable what you just said and the other thing 
when you talked about uh golly what did you say before that about the uh the communication communication. Yeah. yeah um I think, and I would like for you to break it down. I think that's okay. something that we could apply to our lives individually. When you were talking about having a big goal and having to break it down over a span of five years uh-huh. and having to stay motivated in that time period, um, you were speaking in business terms, but can you explain how we can apply that to our to our own individual lives? Yeah, absolutely, man. It, it, it's a... It's something that definitely is transferable to to multiple different things. But let, let, let's those people may be wrestling with, and let's say that you are on a goal to buy a house, right? And so one of the first steps you may do is you may pull your credit and go, okay, here's where I, I'm currently at. I'm, you know, 100 points, 80 points, whatever away from being able to qualify for the house that I'm looking for. So your goal may still be two years away. Every decision that you make is connected to your ability to be able to hit that goal. And so you've got to say, okay, what are the right things that I need to do credit-wise? And let me know if this analogy pans out or we can talk about another one. But, you know, the first thing may be, okay, let me look at my income to expense ratio. How can I get my expenses down so that i got additional income that I can choose to either pay down some debt or, you know, re-strategize, restructure, save for down payment, et cetera. And those, that, that's one of those things where, you, you may have the, most people, because we're not looking at our lives, especially we're not budgeting correctly, you may have the income, but your lifestyle doesn't allow you to make that bigger purchase or that bigger decision that's something that you long for. But you got to chip away at it. So part of it is looking at your income to expense ratio. The next part is looking at your debt to income ratio. And slowly but surely, you can start to chip away at that thing so that you can hit your goal in a given time period. But most important, the first thing that you should do when you're walking into something that you may not know as much about, you've got to be okay asking some questions and don't feel like there's anything wrong with not knowing the answer. So I would sit down, if I'm in that space, I would sit down with someone in real estate and someone in banking, and I would go, here's my goal. How realistic or unrealistic is it that I can hit it in X amount of time? What are the best steps that I should take today in order to get there? And then once people who are competent and who are subject matter experts in their field give you their recommendation, you may take two or three people, triangulate that information, pull out the cluster that makes sense to you, and you chip away at it. But don't allow your ego or your, your, your ignorance in a sense of lack of information to stop you from hitting that goal that may still be a couple of years away. And as someone always said, like, the time is going to pass anyway. So it's what you do with the time that will determine if it was worthwhile or if you have only further delayed your lesson, man. So uh, it, it kind of pans out that way as an example. Great example. Great example. Uh, I would, I got it. I hope the bros out there got it. And what I, what I mean by that is the bros I know to listen to the show, I know they ain't really thinking about credit. But I think that that example that you gave is transferable to a lot of different aspects. So, Hey, if you got another, if you got a topic that's easier to, or not easier, but something that may be more relatable. I can break it down that way as well. So um, just let me know. I, I think that's good, man. I, I think that was okay. a perfect example. I, I, I do. It, it was good. Um, But, yeah, so, you know, seven years in the corporate world, moved up the ladder. And the jobs that you were having, I, I, I'm not too familiar with them, but with the titles that you had and the companies that you were working for and the budget that you were dealing with, it don't sound like you were bringing home no chump change. I'm just going to throw that out there. It don't sound like, you know what I'm saying, you were just eating grilled cheese sandwiches and ramen noodles every day. No, 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 man. That, 
you know, I paid those dues a long time ago. But to make it, to crystallize the, the job titles and the responsibilities, most of the companies that are consumer facing, so the things that we see that have television commercials, whether it be, you know, the Coca-Cola of the world or the Apples or the whatever you name it, this is pretty much their marketing structure. So if it's a brand that we can identify, they have a very similar structure as it relates to their org chart and their roles and responsibilities. And um, what happens is that I would probably say nowadays the, the entry level position starts at probably 60,000, depending on the city that you're in. Mm -hmm. And then every promotion you can expect to get somewhere around a 20% pay increase. And so uh, for people that may not be quick at math, you start to hit the six figure rate probably three or four years in. And then again, most of these jobs, you have a bonus and incentive that's tied to company and individual performance. So you may easily end up getting, you know, at 25 years old, I think I got a $15,000 bonus check on top of my, my base salary. So by the time you get deep into your career, six and seven years in, uh, grilled cheese is, is, is only if you just love grilled cheese. <laughs> I, I, I love the humble brag. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, man. And grilled cheese tastes delicious in Paris. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. What Paris with with wine? What? what? I ain't gonna oh yeah, that. yeah. Oh yeah. They they know for their bread and cheese, so it's amazing over there. I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you. But but yeah. So for those of you that um are maybe uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe a little mathematically challenged. Um, it it sounds like this brother was earning in the six figures to me, <laughs> which is better to highlight my point. Um, mm -hmm. or my question rather, my phone is going crazy. What is going on? Hey, you popping, man? That ain't it. That's me over there asking for a loan. <laughs> nah, man, you got it in Paris. You know, you got it. <laughs> but um, yeah. To to I guess that would make this a better question. Definitely enhance my question. Why leave? Why? You know, seven years in, that's a lot of experience. You're moving up. The sky's the limit. You're earning a salary that most people would die for. Mm -hmm. why, why leave? Um, the, the, the most honest reason is that college education, it prepares you for a job, right? You get to a job and they prepare you to succeed on that job or in that industry. But none of those things prepare you to live the life that you know you wanna live on the inside. And so for me, I was out of whack. It was, I was sort of living incongruently with what I felt like I needed to be doing with my life. So the money was great, the opportunities were amazing. I'm forever indebted to my mentors and people that helped me along the way. But you had enough of those days where you go home where after you get the money and you can buy the nice things, you still got something pulling at your soul saying this doesn't feel like how your life is supposed to go. And so I can the good thing about corporate is that you see this hierarchy. So it's you can see what your life will look like in two or three years. Just look at your manager and you can make a decision. Is this what I want to do with my life or do I want to do something different? And I grew up um, with a commitment to people and service and improving the lives of folks that I wasn't able to do both, so I, I had to make a tough decision. Now, I did my best to do both. I was on the board of the Boys and Girls Club. I was on the board of the Franklin Housing Authority. 
I was volunteering through junior achievement and teaching high school business classes, but I wasn't really able to dive into that that world the, the, the way I wanted to. Um, and I also know that I had a longing for entrepreneurship and not sort of what we were talking about earlier, not in the sexy way, not in the like, I want to be my own boss, but I, I know how important it is for people who grew up. I came from a very, very humble beginning for people to see themselves projected in the future. So I did it for the younger version of me, the younger version of you who says, I want to go out in the world and create something out of my mind. I'm just not sure how to do it. And so I want them to be at a minimum. They can say, I want to be like Jay. I want to be like my D. I want to be like whomever else. And while the corporate story is still amazing and there are people who that's what they want to do at the given time, it wasn't what felt best in my soul. Now my mentors helped me to not look at this as a dichotomy where it has to be either or. So I'm not against going back. I may go back at some point in the future. Um, it just depends on the right opportunity. But I felt convicted enough to step away from it, knowing that I've done my due diligence. I got the academic background. I've got the professional background. I can always go back. I don't know if I can always go and create the things that were putting on my heart at the time. That's deep. Yeah. That's deep. And I think one thing that people will learn, whether it's from listening to me or listening to people like yourself, Whenever you hear a, well, I, I can't speak for everybody, but whenever you hear most entrepreneurs speak, it's not the, they don't talk about the yachts. They don't talk about being yeah. on balls, the lavish lifestyle. It's a spirit of self, selflessness that yes. you always hear in, in servitude. And, you know, your that was big for you. Like you said, the, the main thing you talked about was you had something tugging at your heart. And you wanted to serve others and enhance the lives of others. And I think that that's something that could could also bring a little more clarity and direction to people when they stop thinking about what's in it for me. You know yep. what I'm saying? Like, I want to leave my job because I don't like my boss. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. do your thing. Dog. Everybody's no. everybody's yep. path is different. Yeah. But, you know, what I'm saying I think sometimes you need something a little deeper rooted to sustain the 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 downfalls or pitfalls that may inevitably occur so yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so when you when you when you jumped out there at the beginning mm -hmm. i know you said that you wanted to serve others was your was your path the direction that you had was it that clear at the time was it crystal clear like okay i'm gonna do this this is what i'm gonna do i have this perfect plan and that's it we lit <laughs> or was it was it a little more cloudy than that? Um, so the 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 focus was clear. The methods and how to get there were they had some guardrails, but it wasn't totally fulfilled. Um, so it was one of those things that I knew if I left in the right spirit and right energy and do my best to kind of go with the plan that it was at, at, in place, it was the color would start to fill into the outline. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so Ben Broke Before, the clothing brand that I co-own with my buddies, we launched this. I was still working in corporate when we started this uh, initiative. And it was something that from the outset, it was, or the onset rather, it was um, a combination of what I like to do. I was going to be able to make some money and talk about marketing, but I was also going to be able to impact the community. And so it was just a matter of can we scale the business large enough to enable me to really live my dreams and fulfillment through this or will I need to do additional things to supplement that once we get out here and get started. And so the, the intentions were in the right place. 
the the again all of the details. You just get them as, as tight as you can get them, and you just keep pushing, man, and allow yourself some room to be wrong, and allow yourself some room to be surprised as you get out here and kind of work as an entrepreneur. And and so this show, you know, is obviously about overcoming self doubt. Um, during that time, uh, before you jumped, while you were in the air <laughs> of jumping. <laughs> And yeah. after you landed on the other side, was there a lot of doubt that you dealt with, like whether externally from others or internally? Like, yo, I just left, or I'm <laughs> about to leave a six-figure plus fifteen thousand dollar bonus, yeah. you know, gig. I have this purpose in mind. I have this on my heart, but you know, where, where's the money for the bills? You know, man, to, walk us through that. The day I went to turn in my laptop and company card and cell phone, I stayed in the parking garage for probably 45 minutes going, I think I just lost my mind. <laughs> like, my boss texted me and she said, hey, you know, I'm here to support you. I had some family things that were pulling on me at the time as well. And I, I was just like, I got to get away. And she's like, you know the number, you can always come back. But I knew it, I wasn't going back that day, but I also was not, I didn't leave going, best decision of my life, about to take over the world. And even to this day, there's the, the doubt always creeps in, right? Like I, I try to explain to people that because you are pulling things from the, the mental, spiritual realm, you're saying, I want to take something that doesn't exist in physical form, make it exist, and be successful at it, there's a level of doubt that comes in with all of that because we weren't educated and indoctrinated to believe that that's the way you should live your life anyway. So you're already going counterculture or against the grain. So there's always this level of like, oh, I don't know if it'll work like this. Um, the difference is, can you feel that coming on and still press forward regardless? But I would be lying if I sat here today, two years later, and said that I didn't have any doubt now. There's still doubt. You know, what, what working the job does is that you at least know that financially every two weeks or every hire or often you're going to get this injection of cash that can bail you out. When you're out here working for yourself, you may have an amazing month and the next month may be dismal. And so you don't have that veil of security. And a lot of people, especially men, when the money gets low, the doubt really creeps in. Um, and so I, it, it ebbs and flows, but, um, more than anything, you, you feel like you made the right decision. And until you get some different information that changes, you keep pressing forward and you do your best to suppress that negative energy or that doubt or that anxiety that tends to jump in, um, you know, when you're out here doing this work. Man, you said something that spoke to my heart right then. When you say you may have a, a good month or a great month and then the next <laughs> one it's like, you know, because someone yeah. that we both know, uh, David, David Shans. Good dude. He, yeah, absolutely. He told me, because I was, uh, when I first started selling my t-shirts and, and my merchandise, I was killing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is while I was transitioning out of the military and I'm telling people, you know, about my ordeal in the military, what I'm going through, how I'm destroying doubt, whatever, blah, blah. So people yep. are snagging up, snagging it up like hotcakes. <laughs> yep. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm going to Dave like, yo, I'm killing it. You know, da, da, da. He looked at me like with a straight face. He was like, um... He said, when, when you get out, they're going to stop buying your shirts. Wow. And I can't remember exactly what he said after that, but man, did I see it. I think yep. what he said was people love to support people while they're trending up 
toward what they're trying to do. Wow. But once they see you actually have done it, then it's like, okay, whatever. He was yep. like, he was like, when that happens, you just got to sustain it. You got to make it. Don't give up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just keep pushing through it. And I, and I thank him so much for that because I wouldn't have been prepared for it had he not told me. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing, man, to have those those mentors and teachers who have enough experience to pre-warn you, you know, so that you can kind of build the mental calluses that it takes to toughen out and weather those storms. And if not, like you said, all signs are saying that green pastures are up ahead, but you have somebody who's been through it enough times and seen enough other people go through it to at least give you some caution, right? He didn't talk you off the ledge. He didn't say, don't do it. But he gave you a little, hey, bro, you know. It's coming. Up ahead. <laughs> up ahead. It's going to be a rough patch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And man, was yeah, he man. right. Man, was he right. Yeah, man. Um, But, you know, with your gear, with, with, your, mm-hmm. with your clothing apparel, I love it. I love it. Been broke before. Like it. And I want to get to the stri- the strategic side of it, yeah. Um, because I know it's there. Been broke before. It has a ring to it. It yep. automatically hits home with me. I'm like, I definitely been broke before. <laughs> I've definitely <laughs> been there. But I want to yep. I want to start with more of the emotional side to it. Uh, obviously, if you came up with that name, you've been broke before. But tell us more about it, like more in depth about the brand been broke before. Yeah, man, and this is an opportunity for me to brag on my business partners because I didn't come up with the name, right? Mm. And I didn't didn't put the team together. And this is something that I, like, when I really get the time to explain to other entrepreneurs, I knew leaving my job that I was good at my job. I'm good at corporate marketing, right? But my um, business partner, Deshaun, who actually coined the name and, 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 and pulled the team together, he had already been a successful entrepreneur for 10 years. So I didn't walk out of success in the corporate world and jump out here and just go, I'm going to do it my way and make it work. Like the first year of the business was just like, all right, shut up and listen. I felt, again, competent. And I had enough uh, belief in myself that I'll find my, find my right, right way to contribute. But let me listen to my business partners who already have success as entrepreneurs and let me find my natural flip my natural fit that I can be plugged into the company and kind of push it to the right level. So, um, the, the, how it came about, right. Is originally it started with five of us. Uh, and as I was saying, my, my buddy Deshaun came up with a term. We sat down over lunch and we, we, we've known each other since elementary school, but we had never done any business together. Just had a mutual respect for each other's hustle. And so we sat down over lunch one day and just did a brain dump. Like, tell me all the ideas that you work on, worked on, or that you're currently working on and you need help with, and let's, let's put our pride and ego aside and let's rank where we can collaborate and then prioritize which thing we want to work on first. And Ben Broke Before was the one that jumped out because it was so emotionally uh, relevant to us at the time and to what we felt like were millions of people. Because it's uh, like we try to not be as prescriptive when we talk about what it means. For some people, they interpret this as, I've been broke before, I'm not broke now, let me stunt, let me shine, let me show how far I've come. Other people interpret it as, because I've been broke before, I'm confident that whatever comes my way, I'll be fine, because I've been broke. So if I end up broke again, I know how to navigate those waters. And so we try not to say this is what it means and this is what it stands for, but as you hit it, it definitely, 
um, just mathematically, right? We know that 10% of the population owns 80% of the wealth in this country. When you start looking globally, the numbers are pretty much identical. So if 80% of the wealth is locked into a small amount of people, that roughly means that hundreds of millions of people know what it's like to struggle. And so we've taken the best of that, the resilience of that, and made it cool. Like, what if you could, instead of running away from conversations about money, instead of running from conversations about your past, what if you could wear this as a badge of pride? What if you could wear this like you wear a jersey? What if you realized that there were communities of people just like you who shared the same story? How powerful could that be if we all linked up and as the as our, our um, not to completely product drop, but like it says motivational use only. So what if our story, what if Jay's story, what if David's story was purely out here for motivation for other people who find themselves in this situation? So, I mean, that's that's how I started to unpack it for folks if, as far as the emotional side. I love it. I love it. And uh, you you went into the, the, the strategic side a little bit when you <laughs> talked about the 10 percent. Um, versus the 80% as far as wealth is concerned. Is there any more strategic? I know, I and for those of you that don't know, I was first introduced to Mahdi. Um, he was giving a presentation about marketing and he goes so in depth and he breaks <laughs> stuff down, man, and makes it easy to consume. And he, he showed a lot of stuff that I never knew that I didn't pay attention to as far mm-hmm. as how strategic these brands and these companies are with their marketing. You know, even in the logos, I, I remember you were talking about the Nike and the Hyundai. I would have never known that with Hyundai. Never would have known that. But before you get into all those other brands and what they're yes. doing, tell me about some of that as, as it pertains to Ben Broke before, some of that strategic marketing. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll, I'll, I'll try to weave it in. And if I if I miss something, just just poke me in the right direction. But um, I think in general, most people the first thing they start thinking about with marketing is how can I sell something? How can I get a product in front of somebody? And that's not where I go at all. I go with like, does this deeply resonate with somebody? Can this, will somebody nod their head when you start talking about the benefits of whatever it is that you want to put out in front of them? And so with something like being broke before, it takes a combination of a lot of different knowledge that's fused into this. For one, as we were saying, it's a numbers game. I know that there are millions of people within the U.S. and an even larger population outside of the U.S. because of how many countries are still in development. I know how many people can relate to that story just off of the name. And so if we do nothing else right, we got the name right. And names are important, especially when your budgets are small. When you have the money to kind of roll out your mission and your vision and hire celebrities, you can push a name on someone that may or may not be palatable. But when your budgets are low, you don't have as much uh, money to spend putting a message in front of someone. You've got to catch their attention and, and, and tap into that memory system quickly. And so as we were breaking this down before, been broke before, two things that really tie into memory for folks is either rhythm so things that rhyme, there's a reason why we can remember more song lyrics than we, we can remember math equations. It's because it's rhythmic. It hits us on that spiritual vibe. It gets you nodding your head. Well, alliteration is the cousin to rhythm. So when you see the repetition of the BBB, it feels like it rhymes. Even though the same syllables at the end aren't the same, you get in a rhythm of saying it's been broke before, been broke before, been broke before, etc. And so you're able to kind of have that be burned in your mind a little quicker 
than a random collection of words that may or may not mesh holistically. So one, you've got the alliteration, and then two, it's tied to a message. So you walk away easier or, or, or more likely to remember it. Um, another element that's kind of embedded within the logo is this Abraham Lincoln type figure. And that by itself, it's been synonymous with money. Whether you think about the penny or the $5 bill, subconsciously you see him and you think about money. So when you start to see that infused within this naming structure that already has the alliteration, um, it really, really ties a little bit better to us talking about overcoming hardships and adversities. And while we're talking about strategy, the goal isn't to only talk about money. You can be broke or broken in so many different ways, but money is one of those equalizers. It's one of those things that no one will get upset with you if you're giving them positive tips about how to um, make more money or increase their financial status, so to speak. But if we're talking about the brokenness or, or, or being broken within the spirit, you have to be very conscious that you don't come out holier than thou or that you're not as empathetic to someone who may still be battling with some trauma. And so while we'll bridge our way to getting to the broader sense of brokenness, it ain't a lot of folks that's going to get mad if you show up and say, man, I've been broke, but I'm not there anymore. And here are the steps that I took financially to overcome that thing. So the strategy is to make it cool to talk about your story, make it cool to talk about money. And then now as, as our brand grows and budgets increase, how can we start to penetrate different segments and really keep this conversation going? So you will have the appeal in, we're working on a nonprofit initiative, which is called Been Broke Before Cares. And so for the past couple of years, we've partnered with other organizations in the Atlanta area to do back to school drives, Thanksgiving drives, Christmas holiday things. And so you'll start to see us continue to do what we've already been doing, but now start to brand some of our own initiatives that are sort of philanthropic in nature. Um, and so that strategy will really be us every direction where we can start to engage and make a two-way dialogue to talk about what it means to have been broke before, we'll start to penetrate those those markets and segments. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, much much uh, success to your nonprofit. Uh, you know, I, I hope I hope that you see much success with that. And thank you, bro. Most definitely, most definitely. And you said something I want to touch on real quick when you talked about really tapping into people. Um, so I have a question about that. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, let me ask: When you first started, been broke before the apparel company? When, when you and your team first started? Sorry. Yeah. Did y'all have the the best, I guess, material far as like cotton or whatever? Did you did you start off with the most expensive, or did you start off with start kind of low? So this is where it it helps that I partner with people who already knew the business. So two of the five of us already two guys they already own an apparel company. And so we walked into this knowing about pricing tiers, wholesale pricing, the difference between cotton versus, um, you know, ring spun cotton versus regular cotton versus polyester blends. And we walked in knowing that we wanted to, uh, we didn't want the product to hinder us from getting the story out. We knew the story was going to be huge. And so we decided we'd take a profit hit by starting with premium products out the gate. Mm. as opposed to uh, and again I'm not frowning upon anybody sometimes you have to build your way there but we didn't want to give any reason for you to not want to know more about us so if you get a shirt you, you do your unveil you put it on and it doesn't grab you or feel a certain way we didn't want that to turn you off from the brand so we decided let's go with a more premium 
field from the gate, and we realize that we're going to take a margin or or a profit hit, but it's the right thing to do in the long term. Okay, well, you answered my question. That that was good. I didn't have to ask you. <laughs> you answered my question. Good, good. That Fantastic. Was Fantastic. That was great. So um, outside of apparel, I know you mentioned nonprofit, and you said that you do consulting. Do you do consulting for corporations or small businesses or individuals or everybody? Like, I, what does what your consulting consist of? Yeah, I mainly do uh, marketing brand strategy for small businesses, government agencies, things of that nature. Um, it's one of those things where my passion is helping the small guy, the independent guy, but I'm also not in a position and most of the businesses aren't in a position to hire somebody at my level. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a braggadocious way, but like, we're, I'm, I'm like a hundred, 150, $200 an hour, depending on the type of work. And so I wouldn't feel right going, Hey, small business guy, you're making $35,000 a year. It's going to cost you 5000 for us to partner. Now, I will deliver, and I can promise you that I'm going to triple, quadruple, whatever my worth is as far as sales to you. But I realize that some people don't have that level to invest, you know, sort of at the stage that they're at. So I split my work up into kind of two parts and pieces. Most of the consulting that I do, I kind of keep it private. I work with a small set of higher-paying clients. And then the things that I do for the everyday person is things like the ebook that I just released, webinars and seminars and workshops that are more of a, at an affordable price point. And in that place, I'm giving more advice. I'm giving strategy. I'm giving recommendations, but I'm not giving you a boutique business plan that's going to help you win specifically because those things tend to be a little bit more expensive. So my ambition is to get there, but I've got to generate enough in- income separately to allow me to free up the time and space to just kind of help people at whatever level they may be at. So I'm not against it, but it's just a, it's a balance in that. Can you point those listeners that may be interested in some of those services that you talked about as far as the ebook and seminars and webinars, how they can find some of that? Yeah, absolutely. The easiest way to find me is, um, you know, social media. Instagram is at my D Woodard. So that's M-A-H-D-I-W-O-O-D-A-R-D. And that's sort of the hub that I send people to and kind of go in directions from there. But my website, um, I'm partnering with, with my business partner ish who is a creative powerhouse so our website is ish ishxmadi.com and that's where you can go to purchase the current ebook which is the abcs of marketing we're also working on the abcs of branding which we'll be releasing um sometime around april may and uh that's where you'll be able to sign up for any future webinars and workshops and things that we do I love it. I love it. I love it, man. Madi, thank you so very much for not only dropping the inspiration on us, but the information as well. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. Uh, Do you have any last words, I guess, for anybody that may be experiencing doubt? And I know you can Uh probably speak more to those speaking, those suffering with doubt as it pertains to business. But uh-huh. just for anybody, man, that has a purpose or has something tugging on their heart like you did that are yep. doubting themselves and they can't see the vision. Can you say something to them before we get out of here? Yeah, let me first thank you, man. I, I don't take it lightly when somebody invites you to be a part of whatever movement that they're building. So this interview for me is, is therapeutic. It's powerful. I'm excited for, you know, the people that are going to receive this and who knows what this may grow into so thank you for thinking enough about me to uh allow me this platform to speak so i don't i don't take that lightly man i appreciate it um 
And my advice, can I give two pieces? Can I give a personal and a business man, piece? Man, give as many as you want, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the personal piece, as it relates to dealing with overcoming doubt, or you, I try to forgive the people who may have taught me wrong, right? Like, as you grow older, you realize that people can't give you something that they don't possess, and they can't teach you something that they don't know. But as you come across people who may be a little bit more knowledgeable or a little bit more worldly, you realize that somebody may have given you a little bit of bad advice, but it wasn't malicious. So I forgive them for what they gave me because it was the best that they had at the time. I'm sure that I've given out advice that I wish I could take back now that I know more. So I tell people, like, let that go. Don't penalize or or punish your parents or your mentors or your spouse or ex-spouse because they were doing the best they could with the information that they had. What goes right in partnership with that is that, and I won't curse, but I tell people to unlearn the BS, right? The same learning is a process. You got to put new information in. You got to wrestle with it. You got to ask questions. You got to become competent and confident. And you got to do the same thing with unlearning things. You got to rewire. You got to, like we were talking about, you got to let that doubt still creep in. And go, not today, doubt. Nope. Here's why, right? And whether that be looking at it analytically, whether that be looking at it spiritually or, or mentally, you've got to give yourself permission to unlearn the things that you thought to be true, that once you receive better information, you realize that they were faulty or that they were completely inaccurate or incorrect. And so I don't hold a bunch of anger or resentment or negative emotions around things that I used to know or behaviors that I used to um, you know, act out in. I just kind of release those things once I get better information. Um, and I don't penalize people, right? Like, life is hard. People are doing their best. Thank you for the knowledge, but I got better knowledge now. I can make better decisions. So that's on a personal level. On a business level, um, I wish people understood, like, you, getting it wrong is just part of it. Getting it wrong is just part of it. And I don't mean that in a like cliche way. I mean, within big business, we plan for failure. We knew that if we launched 10 new products, two of them were going to be amazing. Three or four were going to tank. And then the remaining ones were going to just do okay. So I take that same approach into all of my entrepreneurial ventures with, as it relates to the businesses that I run. I don't expect every colored shirt that I put out to be a blockbuster. I run a portfolio, a portfolio of a business so that just like with stocks, you sort of diversify because the risk is spread out across different things. Green olive may have been a hit when it came out. It may not be a hit by the time you get around to it. And so, again, I, I just try to make better decisions as they come. I anticipate the roadblocks. I anticipate the failures and the bumps along the road. And you keep pressing forward regardless of that. And, and no one is a superhero. We all get down. We all have bad days. We all have bad moments. We all have doubt. But are you going to allow that to paralyze you or are you going to press forward from there? And I read something I'm, I'm going to do probably a master class on, man, But and I'm paraphrasing it, but it's like experience is one of the best teachers, but the downside to experience is that you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And sometimes you don't have time to make mistakes. So I tell people, borrow the knowledge from other folks. Borrow the resources from other folks. Speed up the process. You're still going to fail, but don't be so hard-headed to think that you've got to go figure out the answer and the solution to everything by yourself 
you don't have enough time in his lifetime, man. So tap into some some mentors and teachers and, and, and books or whatever it is that you learn best with. Tap into that so that you can optimize your decisions and sort of minimize your risk. That was that was beautiful, man. That was beautiful. I took away. I don't know if you saw him, but I was writing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's real, bro. Yeah, yeah. And before we go, man, I'm sorry. I got to get this off real quick because I always like to put myself in the shoes of the listener. Uh-huh. And when you were talking, you said, and I feel that a lot of people say that, and I say it because I know that it's true. But I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone that hasn't taken that first step yet. Yeah. And they're looking at it as, Jay, you're saying that failure is going to happen. My D, you're saying failure is going to happen. I listen to Eric Thomas. I listen to all these people, and they're telling me that failure is going to happen. But I'm telling you, I can't fail. If I if I go, if I I go try this and I fail, then that's it. Like, yeah. that, you know what I'm saying? Like, I cannot afford to fail. So. Yeah. And they say I'm better off just staying where I am because I can't afford to to take that risk. Like, what what do you say to that person? Yeah, the biggest risk is not taking any risk at all, right? Go sit down with some people and listen to the stories about regret. Go sit down with some people and listen to the stories about not following their dreams. The thing that drives me, I don't have any kids yet, but I have nieces and nephews. I refuse to have my future kids say, Dad, what did you want to be when you grew up? And my answer be anything other than what I'm doing. Mm. I will not allow them to be a, well, why didn't you do that? Oh, well, dad was scared. Dad was afraid he was going to fail. So when they ask me, what did you want to be when you grow up? The answer will be what I'm doing now. Imagine what you will do for a child when they hear the person that's their hero say that they're doing what they set out to do. For them, that, that means Anything is possible because dad do it, mom do it. Therefore I can do it. And it's not, it's not like they can pull advice and mentors from all over the place, but it's nothing like hearing it at home, man. And so I, I, yes, you're going to fail. And if that's too risky for you, um, then maybe the same for you. Maybe I'm not for you, but jump out here and see, you know, and at least we're at least we keeping it real. We're not romanticizing what it means to really, really get out here. But um, I would, I would, if I was able to sit down with those people on a one-on-one basis, I would really ask them that question: What is it that you wanted to be when you were young? And then, what excuse, what lie, what adult told you that that wasn't possible? When did you first abandon your dream? And we 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 resonate on such an emotional, spiritual level. I'm willing to bet you we could put a timeline in place to get them back on track to being what they want it to be. And I don't care how, how long it takes or, or how far-fetched that goal may be. You only get one rotation around this as best we know it. So why not risk it all on, on who you want to be? Absolutely, man. That that was great. And I just want to add one thing to that. Um, when I was going through the process of getting out of the military, before I went through the process, and, you know, I've shared this on the, sh- on the show before many times. I ran to the military. I ran to the military out of fear and doubt. Uh-huh. And when I got there, I realized, like, what in the world have I got myself into? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't believe in none of this. I don't believe in what's going on. And, yeah. and yo, it was eating me up. And it was eating me up inside so bad. And so I, I knew that I had to get out. I had to seek separation. And yep. 
I had the people telling me, you know, you can't make a living outside the military. You got two kids. You're this old. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All these people telling me these yeah. different things. And I finally came to the conclusion. It's like, I can't, I can't live with this. What I'm partaking in, what I'm participating in. Yeah. If I go out there and I start a business and I fail, uh, I actually had fear that I would go to jail for coming forward with my beliefs uh, in the mm. military. I thought, you know, I would be facing jail time. I was like, none of that can be worse than what I'm dealing with on the inside. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so I went through with it. And, Absolutely. And what you just said made me think about other people that I'm sure they may not be in the military and going through that situation, but there are people that have something tugging on them so, so much that you think you are, you're avoiding it by uh, neglecting failure, but it's mm-hmm. never going to die down. Like it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And it's going to consume you eventually. So you might as well face it because that bully, yeah. that bully going to be there every day waiting for you. So you might as well face it. That's so, it, man. Yeah. I, man, one last, okay. one last piece I wish I would have said in this is that a lot of times because I was trained to speak, right? Like you hear my voice and my inflection change and it gets a little bit more standard American English, but man, I'm from the hood, right? Like a lot of people think that where they began is a limitation. So like I had to come up on so many first and keep pressing forward. Like I want people to understand that no matter where your starting point is, no matter when you get started, it's possible out here. And I don't mean like if I did it, you can do it. But genuinely don't allow those things to hinder you, right? If you don't speak as good, then take a public speaking class. If your math isn't as good, get a math tutor. Jump online. Get on YouTube. Like, we're in the era now where you can Google and YouTube anything and just learn your way there. Somebody's teaching Excel 101 right now on a webinar. So there's no reason to allow fake roadblocks to stop you from getting to where you want to get to. Most definitely, man. Most definitely. Yeah, man. Uh, And, and, you know, last thing. I keep saying last thing. No, Uh, I'm excited. I'm good. (laughs) You just made me think about something because uh, my I think out, out of all the fears I had, I had a lot of them before I said I wanted to start like doing public speaking. Uh-huh. But the main one was like, I'm from North Carolina. I got a country slang. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? I grew up with people messing up words. So I know I do too. I'm yep. like, yo, man, I may have this story, but I, I'm not qualified to to speak in front of people. And uh-huh. so what I did was I took Toastmaster and I took Toastmasters yep. for a year before I started my podcast. Yeah, amazing. And when I started my podcast, that's still that was still me every week working on my public speaking. Absolutely. And so I did that before I went in school. I did I think I did my podcast for six months to a year before I started going in schools. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So I took the slow process to get better and I'm still not uh uh, who's somebody that says every syllable and <laughs> adjective right? I don't know. You yeah. insert the person. I'm still not there. But if you see where I started and where I am, you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a big difference. Um, uh, you just gave you just gave the example that you asked me about earlier in the conversation about the multiple year thing, right? You chipped away at it bit by bit, structure by structure, conversation by conversation to where you feel a lot like today. You feel amazing compared to when you started. And then you know you're not where you want to be, right? I'm not there either. But as you continue to do what you're doing, you'll refine and optimize and improve. The difference is you don't allow the 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 the, the negativity to stay in. Let it let it pass right on by, man. So uh, again, man, it's my pleasure. I love to come back 
if, if, if you get in the point where your listeners uh, enjoy the, the guy in the hoodie, you know, I'll be back. <laughs> or if there's something that I can further clarify along the way, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to jump back on the line and, and chop it up with you. Absolutely, man. We're going to go ahead and let Madi get out of here, man. Thanks again for joining me on the show. And y'all check him out on all his social media that he plugged earlier and, you know, maybe request some of his services if you feel moved to do so because the man hey. is, a, I'm going to say it for him, marketing guru. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. Destroying Doubt Podcast, Jay Sutton. Thanks for listening. Thank you, bro. Thank you.